0: forever. I'm here forever. I'm here to stay. It's the most binding agreement you can possibly make. So God has made a covenant with his people, but they've broken it. And so on this day when they come together to seal this covenant, think of it as renewing your wedding vows. Have you ever been to such a ceremony? Dave and I have performed one. It's wonderful when you see this couple that, you know, they've been married and, you know, they just realize they want to renew their, co- their marriage covenant. They want to take it more seriously. And so that's what's happening here. They are renewing their covenant with God in this chapter. And so this covenant involves three areas that we're going to look at today separation Sabbath and sacrifice so let's look at that um, I'm going to start reading uh, I'm going to skip all the long list of names of the people who were gathered here and I'm going to start reading in chapter in verse 28 Nehemiah 10:28 says the rest of the people the priests the Levites the gatekeepers the singers the Nethinim, and this is that's just the commoners so this means everybody from all walks of life, every class, every you know, uh, kind of person among God's people were gathered together, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. So our first word is separation. It says they separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God. These, verse 29, joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God. What does that mean when it says, first of all, that they entered into a curse and an oath in verse 29. Well, the oath part, that's the promise. They're making a promise, and when it says they entered into a curse, they're simply saying, look, here's the deal. If we don't keep our promise, God, then you can... Have you ever done that? We've done that, right? I promise you I will pay you back, and if I don't, then you can have my dog or whatever right? This, that's what's going on here. God, they're entering into a curse, meaning we agree that the, the judgment of God will be upon us if we don't keep this covenant that we are making with God anew. That's, what's, that's what that means. But let's go back to this word separation. They separated themselves from the people of the land, okay? What does that look like exactly? Verse 30 tells us, this is the first part of this covenant, separation. We would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Could someone get me a drink of water? Pretty please. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, it's got lipstick on it. Why don't you just get a new cup? Because you might not like that. I don't know. I just, I wouldn't want to hold someone's cup with lipstick all over it. Okay. Maybe it's just me. Oh, see, it's not just me. Would you want to hold hand someone your cup? It's got lipstick all over. I mean, a guy. No. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Now I got to get rid of this one. There, out of sight. Okay, you know this is um, when you talk about separation from the peoples of the land. People have a hard time with these. Are one of the things that people have a hard time with in the Old Testament that God would ask His people to separate from the people of the land. You know, a, a modern day, a postmodern person might look at that out of context and say, "Well, that sounds xenophobic," not realizing the the strict laws of Moses in which God said, take care of the foreigners among you. Take very good care of them. Treat them like your own. So that's the law of God regarding foreigners. So then what is going on here? He's telling them to separate themselves from the people of the land, meaning the pagan people of the land. Remember, God brought them into this land to possess it, and he's telling them to separate themselves from the people of the land. In fact, he actually told them to destroy the people of the land. Whoa! Now that sounds like genocide. Well, let's let's look at that a little bit. These are hard things that we ought not ignore. That we ought to understand. If you if you look in Psalm 106, verse 34 to 38, Psalm 106, verse 34 to 38, it explains. Why? See, you have to understand the why behind some of these things that happen in the Old Testament. Um, And so this passage explains to us. It says, they did not destroy the people concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. And what were those works? They served their idols, which became a snare to them They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. See, God's not just telling them to arbitrarily wipe out these people. There's a reason the people were literally influencing the Israelites to sacrifice their own children in the fire. There's another place where it says they offered their, it names the different idols they worshipped, and one was Molech, and that's the one that they let their children pass through the fire and sacrifice. So God is, they're, they're returning to that part of the covenant and it, it has to do with separation so that they can purge themselves of these evil practices that have infiltrated their nation and cause them to literally sacrifice their children on the altar of these pagan idols. I think that's a pretty good reason to not intermingle with the Gentiles in this context, right? Now, how does that apply to us? And I want to draw a difference so that you can see the nature of separation and how it's different in the Old Testament versus the New Testament under the New Covenant. Or we could also say the nature of separation and how it is different in other religions versus authentic Christianity. See, separation, when a people group believes that God is telling them to separate from outsiders, It is often merely to protect from evil influences or to prevent from wrongdoing. And it appears that's what's going on here. But there's more than that. See, under the New Covenant and, and, and New Testament Christianity, it's more than that. Yes, it's about protecting from evil influences and preventing from wrongdoing. And we do, our Christian walk must involve a separation on a daily level, every day, we've got to come back to that sometimes, even hourly. But for our life, for our life, for our whole life, we've got to make a separation from the things we know are hindering us and holding us back from our covenant relationship with God. But it's not just about protection from evil influences and prevention from wrongdoing. As in a marriage separation from your old life is not merely a purposeful act. It is the natural result, hear this, this is new covenant. It is the natural result of satisfaction, contentment, and being in love. Remember, this covenant relationship with God is parallel to marriage. That's why God gave us marriage to show us what kind of relationship he wants with his people. So when I got married, there was a separation. There was a line drawn. I am now satisfied and content because I have found the one whom my soul loves. And so now there's this separation. I no longer need to be out there looking. Do you remember that, some of you? Okay. I remember when I was, you know, my daughter's age, they said, you win a husband with face powder, and you keep a husband with baking powder. So I thought, okay, I'm in the winning stage. So I'm always powdering my nose, always in the mirror, constantly taking care of that shine. And I'm always on the lookout, like, where is he? Where at? I, I know God's got that, Mr. Right-out, right? And, and you're, uh, that was my, my state, and this leads me into the next word, Sabbath, which is rest. But we'll get there. But see, eventually I met Dave and then there was the separation where it's like, oh, I I can cut off that, that life that I had. It was a good life. Single life is a good life. We need to say that in the church. There are good things God has in that season of life. It's a very powerful, useful season of life. But now there was a separation where I entered into a new life and now I had an experience Exclusive relationship with Dave, hear that word, exclusive relationship with Dave. There was no one else for me. He was the only one who satisfied, is, who made me content, like, like you know, be laughing at, whatever. You realize this is live. But there's this exclusivity now where I I could say Dave is the only one for me. I I have made a separation so that I'm not looking anymore, right? I'm not out there looking anymore. And it's got to be the same way with God where we would say, Jesus Christ, I have separated, I've made a separation from those people and things that have kept me from a rela- a right and proper relationship with you, and now you are my one and only. You are, you, I, I exclusively belong to you, and you exclusively say, "I am the way, the truth and the life." See, no one would ever say to me, "Oh, faith, you're just so closed minded There's other good men out there. Why don't you just keep your options open? Nobody would ever say that. I think they're crazy. I'm happy. I've got a decent man. He's a good man, right? And so when we use that word exclusive and we speak in terms of separation, it's not just a, a self-preservation and protecting from evil and wrongdoing, which is true, but it's so much deeper in, than that under the new covenants. It's a separation unto God because love, satisfaction, contentment, he is my all in all. He's 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 uh, as the deer pants for the water so my soul pants after thee. That's the covenant relationship with God. And so that's why Jesus could have that separation where he would spend probably most of his time. I don't know how much he slept. I mean, he he came as a human still being fully God. He needed to sleep. But we see in the Gospels that he spent so much time retreating to the mountain to pray and be alone with God. That was that separation, separating himself to be with God. And yet, and yet in Luke 15, it's, we see the religious people and they're saying, now see, here's, here's the religious idea behind separation. They've got this very Old Testament idea. They're saying to him in Luke 15, the religious people, right? They're saying, How come how they're asking Jesus' disciples, how come your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? He's supposed to be separated from those Gentiles. See? They're stuck. They're stuck under this old covenant, but there's this new covenant that God wants to bring us into where we can can sit with the sinners and love them and even get this. This is a whole different sermon, but it's good. I'm going to say it. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. It's possible. It's possible. And yet at the same time, in the same way that I can, I can talk to anybody, but there's this separation when it comes to my, my relationship with my husband. You see? And so there are two different things that can, that can uh, coexist. And so that's the word separation. The second word is Sabbath. It's a, a Hebrew word. Shabbat literally means to rest from labor. Interestingly enough, in the in old, in, uh, ancient Jewish language, in the Old Testament, when, the, when it speaks of marriage, the word that's used for marriage is actually rest. You might remember when Naomi said to Ruth, look, Ruth, just stay here in Moab. Shouldn't I seek rest for you? What she was saying is a husband. You need to just settle down and find your rest. And that was the language they used in the Old Testament when they, when they spoke of getting married and settling down. They used the word rest. And so part of, of the foundation, I would say, okay, we've got separation. I'm going to remove and separate myself from all the things that hinder my relationship with God. And next I'm going to come into my Sabbath rest. Because when you understand what it means to have a relationship with the person who calls himself love, with a capital L, love incarnate, that is a soul rest that you cannot experience any any other way, any other way. It's a soul rest. Now, on the surface, see, if I were someone else might be preaching this chapter, they get to this word Sabbath. Oh, by the way, let's read the verse that goes with it. Verse 31, verse 31. Now we're moving on to the next word. If the people of the land brought wares or grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. So they would cancel debts owed during the seventh year because they also took a seventh year, not just a seventh day. So here's the next term of the covenant. They're remembering to keep Sabbath. And if I were just teaching this on a surface level about Sabbath, I would simply point out that I believe the most ignored of the Ten Commandments by the church is this one, the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy not just by having a day of rest. That's that's the purpose of the Sabbath. God wants us to rest. But also, I I believe if we really understood what the church means, that the church is the only physical representation of Jesus Christ on the earth today. It's called Christ's body. If we really believed that, we would want to gather as much as we possibly could. But if we dig deeper and find the deeper meaning behind this word Sabbath, I would encourage you to read chapter 4 this week. Just study and read chapter 4. It's all about the Sabbath rest that God has for us. It says, there remains for the people of God a rest, and this is a soul rest and it says in that chapter, we don't have time to go through that chapter, read it this week, Hebrews 4, but there's a place in that chapter where it says, he who, he who has, um, well, I'm going to have to read it, I guess, just that one verse. Um, uh, he who has, uh, verse 10, Hebrews 4, 10, he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You know how I translate that? Ceased from his works? I've preached this before. It bears repeating. Ceased from that which gets you worked up. That's how I think of that verse. What is it that's getting you worked up right now? Do you have a list? Yeah. (laughs) There's this soul rest God has for his people that he wants us to enter into, where it's like a marriage. You come into this marriage and you realize, "Ah, I can finally settle down. Why? Because I am loved. I am loved. I am loved, I have found my security, I know who my protector is, I know who my provider is, I know who the lover of my soul is, I know where I find my security, I know where I find my identity, that is a soul rest, that's a soul rest. And we can come into it on a daily basis and for our entire life. This is a this is a thing this soul rest. Look, I can tell you. I can point to a time in my life. There's a line I could draw on the timeline of my life and before that, I lived so many years in unrest. Worked up about everything I could find to get worked up about. Do I still get worked up? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't stay there. I don't stay there. Because I live in this rest. God at a point in my life, brought me into this rest where it was this revelation that said, guess what? I don't have to fix everything and everybody. And it was amazing. I used to be that person. Do I still have that personality? Yes. I'm still the same personality, but it doesn't master me. It's not my identity anymore. It doesn't drive who I am and how I relate to people and carry myself. I can be me the way God made me, and I can be at rest. I'm living proof. I am not the same unrestful person I used to be. Here's the thing. If God needed to cease from his work, who are we to think that we don't need to? Any kind of work, six-day work week, or the things in here that get us all worked up. Right now, we are in a time of great unrest in our nation and in the world, are we not? The people of God, though, can be Sabbath people at rest, and we can show that to the world, what it looks like to be a person at rest. All oh, the world needs that so desperately right now, and we need to show them the final word We've got separation, Sabbath. Final word is sacrifice. This deals with giving God the very best. This has to do with our priorities. So let's just quickly read that chat, that passage. Verse 32 says, We made ordinance for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. So this deals—I'm not going to read every word for the sake of time. You can study this chapter, but it deals with how they're going to start giving financially to the temple, and they're going to help supply uh, the raw materials for the offerings, the for the sin offerings, the feasts, uh, the atonement offerings, the wood needed for sacrifices. It, it goes on to say, uh, verse 35, they're going to bring the first fruits of their ground and of the, all the trees that year. They're, and then it says they're going to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle. Does that mean they're going to sacrifice their sons? No, they're going to bring a firstborn male of their cattle to sacrifice in place of their son and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of God. We're going to bring the firstfruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit of all kinds of trees, verse 37, new wine and oil. And it goes on to list these things they're going to bring into the temple, and it concludes in verse 39 by saying, we will not neglect the house of our God. In other words, they're going to prioritize in terms of their time, resources, and money. Why? To strengthen the church. Why the church? Because the church in turn strengthens the nation. Our nation right now is so divided, of course, we know this, worse than it's ever been, maybe since, I don't know, I heard someone refer to the state of our nation by saying we are in a cold civil war. I believe that's a very apt description. If the church is divided, we're really in trouble. The church is, we've got to be united, we've got to be strong, we've got to be one in spirit, as Paul said. And so when we willingly give of our time, resources, and money to strengthen the church so that we can keep coming together in worship and and so that we can work toward unity of the spirit, then we are a strong, strong um, unifying agent in this very divided world. But here's the thing. Again, just like the Sabbath, I could preach this on a very surface level and make it an offering, a a sermon, a section here about tithes and offerings and and giving. And we know this. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that we should give of ourselves. You don't even have to be a religious person to understand that it's a good thing to live sacrificially. It's actually mentally and psychologically healthy. We already understand that. But under the new covenant, I heard someone say this recently, and I wish I remember who so I could give them credit, but a lot of people have said it. Under the new covenant, good works, sacrificial living is the fruit of salvation, not the root. We need to make that distinction. Other religions and under the old covenant, you know, they would, they, good works were um, their offering that they brought to God out of obedience because an offering was commanded to make atonement for their sins. And religious and non-religious people still have that mindset. Their salvation, their way of okayness, of being okay and right standing with God is the root. It's this belief that if I just give and give enough... And make enough sacrifices, then maybe God will be pleased with me, or I will at least, if there's no belief in God, be okay with myself. But under the new covenant, sacrificial living and giving is not the root, it's the fruit. It's the fruit. It is the natural outflow of a love relationship with God so that now you are willingly giving of your time, resources, and money, not because you have to, but because you get to. It's like, wow, God loves me so much. How can I not give? How can I not help? How can I, how can I hold back? I freely, freely give because he gave his life for me. And that abundant life and love is flowing through me. And now I have just this natural outflow of sacrificial living. It's the fruit and not the root. Look, do you have to, does a couple, a married couple, have to work really hard to conceive a child? <laughs> Here I go. I don't laugh, but think about it. There's really no work involved. It's the fruit of love and pleasure. It's the fruit of a love relationship. Good works under the new covenant work the same way. Good works are your natural fruit of a love relationship with God. It's the fruit and not the root. So we've got separation, Sabbath, and sacrifice. And as I come to a close, I'm going to go back to that part in verse 29 where it says, they joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Remember that curse they entered into? We will keep all the terms of this covenant, God, and if we don't, bring your judgment upon us. Ooh, they had no idea what they were saying. (laughs) Because for the next However many hundred years up into the present, we humans have entered into that very curse because we know we can't do this on our own. We can't separate ourselves and our own strength from those things that are killing us from the inside. We continually go back to them. We can't do Sabbath on our own. We want to be at rest and we try so hard. What an irony. What an irony trying so hard to rest, <laughs> and we can't, and we want to live sacrificially, and we get angry when we feel used and taken advantage of, and other people should be stepping up, and on and on it goes, we find that we can't do this in our own strength, and so we come under this curse that is called condemnation, guilt, guilt failure, defeat, discouragement, you name it. And Paul was very much there in Romans 7. There's your other chapter to read this week. Romans 7, he's experiencing this curse that he lives. And he comes to this place and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death, this curse? He says, the things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself keep returning. I find that I keep returning to them. Who will deliver me? Oh, wretched man that I am. They entered into a curse and an oath. We promise we will obey you. But it turns out we can't not in our own human strength. The good news is that Jesus became that curse for us. It says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's a reference from Deuteronomy 21, I believe. That was under the law of Moses If a criminal was hanged on a tree, he was considered a curse. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, that is God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we fail to separate ourselves from sin, and sinful influences, that's sin. When we fail to come into the Sabbath rest God has for us, that's sin. When we fail at sacrificial, sacrificial living and we live only for ourselves, that's sin. But the Word of God says Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And here's the other thing. He's the covenant, covenant keeper. He's the covenant keeper. It's a sure and steadfast covenant that he will never break with his people. The word of God says if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Hallelujah. So again, it is a separation unto him for love's sake, it is a rest in his finished work on the cross. And we can live sacrificially because he became our sacrifice. He became the curse so that we could be free and live under the blessing of a God who wants us to enter into his Sabbath rest. Amen. Let's pray. Just want to take a minute to examine our hearts. As though we are among that crowd gathered to renew this covenant with God. What is he speaking to you today? Is God asking for a separation from something or even someone that is hindering your relationship with him? Is God speaking separation today? Is God speaking Sabbath rest? You've been so worked up that it's even affecting your physical health. God is saying, I have a rest for you, Hebrews 4, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. God said to me recently, or some time ago, I don't know, it was a few months ago, I was all worked up about something and had been for a long time. God said to me, why don't you let it be my problem? Why don't you rest? And finally, as God's speaking sacrifice. But Lord, I've given so much. Jesus says, why don't you take my yoke upon you? My yoke. Maybe you've been carrying the wrong yoke. Maybe it's a self-constructed yoke that you are never meant to carry. Jesus says, if you come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my yoke, and learn from me. Watch me because I'm I'm meek and lowly and gentle in heart. And if you take my yoke upon you, then you'll find rest for your souls. And it won't feel like such a sacrifice. It'll be a joy, a joy. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Words from Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you. We say yes to the terms of this covenant to you today, Lord. We want to be separated unto you. Only you. We want you to be first in our lives, our one and only God. We want to come into the rest you have for us, so that then as we are resting, and the finished work of the cross, we can then naturally begin to bear fruit that looks like sacrifice, but it'll be a joy and an honor and a privilege to serve you with all of our lives. Yes, Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed.